really, really try to, to think about you know, what heaven is going to be like once you leave this place and wind up in that place. You know, the Bible says for me to live is Christ. That means for me to live here, Christ is here with me. That's just a little piece of heaven. You know, that God is, is here with me. But one day I get to go there to be with Him. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain because I don't have Him here with me anymore in the Spirit, but I am there with Him in perfect uh, person. And I, I can't wait for that to take place. Thank you, brother, for that song. What a, what a blessing that is. And uh, thank you for putting up with all my gadgetry. And, uh, I'll, uh, I'll try to try to rig myself up now. And, uh, hopefully people out in the parking lot, I don't know if they're still out there able to listen or not. Ben was ma- motioning to me a while ago. They didn't have any ears on. Where's Ben at? Where are you? There you okay, they still hear me out there, son? Yeah, you think so? I hope so. Uh, speaking of hope, you know, we have a hope uh, of, of that which we can only imagine now. Uh, we look forward to being there in heaven with God and uh, with Christ and not only with Him, but also with, with our loved ones that have gone on before. Uh, I'm excited uh, about that. But uh, there, there's a, 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 some verses in the Bible that I want to take a look at that talk about hope. And, uh, but before I do that, I want to read a couple of verses that, uh, that might shed some, some light on it. You know, we have, we have faith. For by grace are you saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. And that faith... Saving faith, the faith that it takes for a person to be changed from glory to glory, uh, to be changed from death to life, from darkness to light, uh, from lost to saved. That, that is a, a faith that doesn't come from the human being or from the person that has it. It is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So there is a faith, there is a hope, and when the Bible speaks of hope, most of the time, it's equating those two things. We have a steadfast foundation, a firm hope of glory, a firm hope of heaven one day. But there is a uh, spurious faith, if you will. Uh, that word spurious just simply means artificial imitation, forgery, a fake faith, a faith that will leave you right where it found you lost and separated from God. And we have sometimes false hopes. We build our hopes and our dreams on things that are, are sometimes tangible and they're physical and they're materialistic and they're worldly, uh, fleshly rather than spiritual, rather than heavenly or godly. And uh, we find out that those things will, will let you down. They'll fail you. The flesh will fail you, the Bible says. And sometimes we put our hopes in the flesh and the things of the flesh. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 12 is one of the verses that I'm uh, building some of this message on. And it says this, that there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. And yet that generation is not washed from their filthiness. They're pure, there's a purity and there's a filthiness. Those are opposites. 
You see, we are holy, we are righteous, we are pure only by the grace of God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect life that He lived on this earth, the death that He died on the cross, the blood that He shed for our sins. And we are only made righteous, we are only made pure, we are only made perfect by that grace through that faith and that hope that we have and that hope in in glory that only Christ can bring. But uh, there's, a, there's a group of people, there's actually a herd of people on the earth that have a hope, but it's a, a faulty hope. It's an illegitimate, fake, artificial hope or faith. And they are not washed, the Bible says, from their filthiness. Job chapter 8 and verse 13 and 14 tells us this, so, so are the paths of all that forget God. And the hypocrite's hope shall perish. A hypocrite. Boy, I hate that word. I hate that word with a holy hatred. Um, uh, hypocrisy. Uh, for people to claim to be one thing and to be something else. And there are people who claim to be one thing, and they really are that. You know, there's a difference between being saved and being Christian. Did you know that not all saved persons are Christ-like? Not all people who are saved act like Christians? And they're not really being a hypocrite when they say that I'm saved. But they are being hypocritical when they say that they are Christians and they're not living like Christ, that is hypocritical. And this verse again in Job 18, 8, 13 through 14 says, So are the paths of all that forget God. And it's so easy for us to forget uh, whose we are and who we are in Christ. When we go out into the world and we mingle with, you know, the worldlings, the people of earth, we shouldn't be people of earth. Uh, we shouldn't be earthlings. We we should be well, not Martians. I know my daughter's smiling. She's about to laugh at me. <laughs> we're not from outer space. We were born here on this planet. But when I say earthlings, I'm talking about worldliness. I'm talking about worldlings. And we should be heavenly creatures. We should be spiritual beings. So are they that forget God and the hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be as a spider's web. Now, I hate it when I walk into a spider's web. They're delicate things. They tear apart very easily. But I hate the feeling of them on my face. And I hate the feeling of hypocrisy in my heart and in my mind. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, 5, And hope maketh not ashamed. You see, hypocrisy... Should, now if it doesn't, then you have a deeper problem than what I'm talking about. But hypocrisy should bring shame to our lives. It should make us be embarrassed about the things that we say compared to the things that we do. <coughs> Excuse me. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. You see... If I have a hope that is steadfast and sure, 
It is not a hope that is built upon who I am or what I've done. It's a hope that is built upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Romans 5, 5. Now, these scriptures that I've read so far, quoted a couple, they've got a very strong application, not only to the people of the Bible that they were written by and to at the time that they were written, but they are written to us. You do realize that God used these men to write these Scriptures. And I love to talk about the Word of God, the Bible, how it's, uh, what, 66 books written by 40 different men over a 1,500-year period of time. It was written in three different languages on three different continents. There's no book on the planet that can compare to what the Bible claims and what it is. And if we're going to live by that, these Scriptures then we've got to apply them to our lives, not just to our hearts and to our minds. We've got to not be hypocritical in the things that we say and that we believe and the things that we do and the way that we act. So there is a hope, a faith that will perish one day. It'll let us down. Why? Because it's earthly, it's worldly, it's fleshly. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from heaven. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It it comes from us. It comes from the inside of who we are. It's a hope so, maybe so, think so type of faith rather than an I know so. And because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day, I'm going to live my life according to that faith. There is a hope that shall perish, the hypocrite's hope. And there is a faith, there is a hope, that maketh not ashamed. My friend, I hope that you'll choose wisely when it comes to the faith that you have and to the hope that you have. These Scriptures have a strong application to us as the church today. What are the differences between true and saving faith and spurious or artificial simplistic faith, there's a lot of them. There's a a lot of differences between those two things. And I want to share four of them with you this morning that I hope will make a difference in your life and and will make you decide not to go out and go trick-or-treating tonight. And uh, that you'll maybe, if you do anything, pass out some gospel tracts when the kids come and knock on your door and drop those in their bucket rather than the candy, if you're buying candy on a night like this, what you're doing is supporting uh, the billions of dollars worth of industry that they make off of this horrendous holiday. Now, I didn't really want to talk about Halloween. Uh, Actually, to me, this isn't All Hallows' Eve. This is Reformation Sunday, amen? Maybe you don't know that. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Halloween is much more popular than Reformation Sunday in most circles. But uh, I want to talk to you about four different scriptures that might have an impact on our life. All, All four of them have one thing in common. Spurious believers want Christ, but they want Him with an exception. Well, I'll take Christ if... And there's an exception that they place 
on the world and on the church and on Christians and on the Bible in order for me to be able to receive this God, this Christ, this Savior that you're talking about, then there are some things that have to be done in order for me to be able to receive Him uh, into my life, into my family. First of all, they, they want the grace of Christ. See, grace, grace, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins. That's my favorite word in the English language is grace. And the reason that it's my favorite word is because then I realize that without grace, I am absolutely hopeless. I have no hope. You have no hope of God having an impact in your destiny, in your destination after this life. Except by grace. For by grace you say through faith. I mentioned that a while ago. Of course we were talking about faith. We were talking about hope. But it is by grace through faith that you have that hope of eternal life. And the spurious believer, the person who has the fleshly, worldly, uh, sensual type of hope in their life, they want the grace of Christ, but they don't want the government of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they, want, they want the blessings of God, the grace of God, but they don't want the Lordship of Christ in their lives. It's kind of like the prodigal son who wanted you know, his goods from his father. I want what I want, I want what I want, when I want it, I want it now. Give me what I want and I'll go on about my business and live my life the way I want to. Well, you can't have the blessings of God and then go on about living your life the way you want to. Part of receiving the Lordship of Christ. Part of receiving the grace of God by grace that you're saved. So part of receiving salvation is receiving the Lordship and the government of God over your life. Uh, there was a little boy that I tell the story about. He was living in his, his father's house and they were in the country up north where it snows and gets really cold. The fire was burning down and he told his son to go out and get some more firewood. Of course, the son thought about that and he realized that it was about 20 below outside the door. And he said, yes, Dad, I'll go. And he just sat there. In about 15-20 minutes, the father realized that the son had not done what he said he would do. So he reminded him gently. And he says, son, I thought I asked you to go get some firewood. He says, yes, sir, dad, I'm going to go get it in just a minute. And he sat there by the fireplace as the fire was dwindling down, warming his hands. And he still didn't go out the door to get any more firewood. And in a minute, uh, the father went and gently took him by the arm, led him to the door, exited the door for him, and closed it and locked it behind him. <clears throat> the young man was rather upset about that. In about 15 minutes, uh, the father on the inside of the house heard the door. And he didn't answer it. In about another 5 or 10 minutes, it was... A little louder. Another five minutes and he heard the boy outside crying and screaming, Dad, open the door. Let, let me in. And he, he heard his dad on the inside of the door. He says, Son, do you have the firewood? He says, Yes, sir. I got an armload of it. And, and he opened the door and he let him in. Now let me ask you the question. 
When we answer God's call in our life and we say, yes, Lord, and we don't do the things that He has asked us to do, do we think that He should be any more gracious to us than this father was to his own son? You see, if we're going to receive the blessings of God and expect the blessings of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, of God in our lives, then certainly we've got to realize that our Heavenly Father expects us to be obedient to His commands and to His Word. That we should be subservient to His rule and to His Lordship. That we should obey His government in our lives. Secondly, not only do they want you know, the grace of Christ without the government of God, they, they want the priesthood of Christ without the position of prophet and king. And now again, as a priest, Christ goes to, you know the difference between a priest and a prophet. Now, a priest goes to God on behalf of the people, okay? But the prophet hears the word of God, and I'm a modern day prophet. Uh, God doesn't speak a new message to me. I tell you, thus saith the Lord, this is what God has said. So the modern day prophets behind the pulpits are taking the word of God and sharing it with the congregation. So the priest goes to God on behalf of the people. The prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. And you've got a two-way conversation. Well, most of the church today want a priest but not a prophet. They want somebody to go to God on their behalf that they might receive the grace and the blessing and the things of God. But they don't want to hear the things that God has to say to them. It's very much akin to Roman numeral number one. They want the grace of God, but not the government of God. They want the priesthood of Christ. They want Christ to be able to be the mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man. They want the pastor to come pray for them, but I'll tell you what, if you're not right with Christ, the one mediator between God and man, my prayers won't do you any good. You need to listen not only to the priest, the high priest, but you need to listen to the words of the prophet that are sharing the leadership of God in your life. As a king, Christ rules and reigns over believers in all things, not just some things. We don't get to pick and to choose which things of the Bible that we believe. You say, well, I like this and I don't like that. I believe this and I don't believe that. I'm going to tear this out of my Bible and throw it in the, you know, the fireplace. <coughs> there have been people in the past that actually did that. <coughs> Martin Luther, if I'm not mistaken, it was Martin Luther or Jonathan Edwards. One of them was upset about uh, the difference between Paul's and James's definition of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what is it that you are saved by? Is it grace or works? Are you saved by grace or works? And where James was saying that, is a man saved by grace? Not without works. But of course, what he's saying is, is that the grace that it takes to be saved, man is saved by grace and grace alone. But the grace that saves is not alone. It always produces good works. And that is what James was saying. But Martin Luther didn't get his brain wrapped around that just right for a little while. He finally did. Did, but he tore that page out. He couldn't. He couldn't take it. He'd crawl up the the stairs on glass, whipping himself on the back, trying to trying to understand and receive the word of God. My friend, I want you to realize something. God's not after you torturing yourself, crawling upstairs on glass, or whipping yourself on the back. 
But God is interested in you praying, understanding the Word of God, coming to the house of God, listening to the preaching of the Word of God, and then applying it to your life and living the life that God has called us to live. Thirdly, they want Christ, but they want Christ without counting the cost. Now, Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through 30 says this, If any man come to me, and any man, that's a universal positive. That means there's no person, individual on the planet that is left out of this statement. Man, woman, boy, or girl. If any person, human being, that man in the, in the original is the word anthropos. It's not talking about a man as opposed to a woman. So if you're a female in here, don't think that this is not talking to you just because he uses the word man. It means everybody. If any man come to me and hate not his father. Now my children and grandchildren are here. Kind of scares me a little bit to read that verse in front of them, but I want them to understand what the verse means. It says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brother and his sister, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So you cannot be a disciple of God if you don't hate all of these people in your home, your family, your life. No, that's not what it means. But what it means is this. That if your love for your mother or your father or your wife or your children... If the love for Christ doesn't make that love for them seem like hate, then you don't love Him like you should. Your love for Christ should be greater than any love that you have on this planet. And if any man come to me and the love that he has for me does not make his love for his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brother and his sisters, yea, and his own life also seem like hate, then he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that is a hard saying. And yet it's still the Word of God. It is God's Word. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't be His child. There's a difference between being saved and being Christian. There's a difference between being a disciple and being a child of God. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a person who practices Christianity. So I can be a child of God. I can be saved. That's not what Christ is saying here. It's not saying you cannot be saved. But don't call yourself a Christian. If you're not living the life that God is... See, we have hope. But if the only hope that we have is built on something less than that love that Christ describes in the Word of God, then our hope is less than what it should be. Luke 8, 18, 18 through 23 speaks of the rich young ruler. You know that story. How the rich young ruler came to Christ and said, uh, uh, excuse me, sir. Well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He called him good master. And the first thing that Christ asked me, he says, why is it that thou callest me good? There's none good save God. Now, a lot of people say, oh, see, Jesus Christ Himself is saying that He's not God. Why do you call me God? Don't call me good. 
Why, why do you call me good? Don't call me good because nobody's good but God. You shouldn't call me good. No, what he's saying is this. You called me good master. Why callest thou me good? Only God is good. Are you calling me God? See, we need to realize who Christ is. He's not. Uh, he, he's God and you're not. The, this rich young ruler had a... It's kind of like some doctors they say in the world today. I've never really ran into one. Some of them, they say, have a God complex. They think that they're God because they have life and death in their hands. And they have saved so many people that they actually place themselves on a pedestal. Well, this rich young ruler had placed himself on a pedestal. Not because he was a doctor and held life and death in his hand, but because he was in control, he thought, of his own destiny. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Good Master, what must I do to be saved? And he says, Why callest thou me good? There's none good save God. And he says, You know what the Scriptures say. You're a, you're a good Jewish boy. You understand what the Word of God says? That, you know, to, to keep the commandments. And he says, oh, sir, I've done that from my youth up. Ever since I was a little boy, I've, I've kept the, you know, the Ten Commandments as well as all of the Pentateuch and <coughs> all of those things. And you know what Jesus said to him? He says, well, well said, so you have. I was surprised when I read that because I know that there's none righteous, no, not one, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. So this year, rich young ruler, even though he said he, had, he was blind, Paul said, pertaining to the law, I'm blameless. But uh, no, nobody's blameless when it comes to the Word of God. But Jesus told him, well, well said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let that slide. Yet one thing thou lackest, one thing that you're falling short on in your quest for eternal life or for heaven or to be with God. Go and take everything that you have, sell it, and give it to the poor. I, I can only imagine the look on that boy's face. He said, well, what do you mean? He said, I mean what I said. Go and take everything that you have and sell everything that you have. Take what you have gained from selling everything you have and give it to the poor, and you shall have riches in heaven. The young man thought about it for a minute, and he walked away sorrowing, the Bible says. Now I know that there are people in this room that are thinking, wait a minute, preacher. Are you telling me, in order to be right with God, that I've got to sell everything I have and give it to the poor and become poor myself and go out on the street with my own tin cup crying alms, alms, alms for the poor. Maybe not the blind, but at least the poor. That I too should become a beggar with the rest of the world in order to gain eternal life in heaven? No. No, and that's not what God meant or Christ meant to this young man either. But you see, he understood what it was that was standing between that. He says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? <coughs> and Christ knew exactly what the wall was between him and heaven was. And it was his love for his riches. His love for his stuff. It was more important to him. And Christ knew it. It was more important to him than heaven. 
It was more important to him than forgiveness of sin. And he walked away sorrowing. Boy. Spurious believers. You see, they say that they have a faith. They say that they have a love. They say that they have a dedication. They say that they have a commitment up to a point. And then they will walk away, even if it's sorrowingly. Now, there's a man in the book of Acts, chapter 8, and verse 13. His name was Simon. And they called him Simon the Sorcerer. And we use that word, sorcery. It comes from the word pharmakia. And the word, don't you hate when that happens? The word pharmakia is where we get, you know, our word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals from. And he was basically, not a modern day, but a back then day, drug dealer. And he bewitched the people. Not only with the words that came out of his mouth, but with the concoctions that he made and gave them to drink. And all of a sudden, the disciples showed up. John and Peter and Paul and all the disciples showed up in the town that he had you know, a following in. And they started preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, all of the people that were bewitched by his sorceries converted and gave up their heathenistic practices and came to faith in Christ and were baptized and were saved and, and joined the church and left you know, his cult and his following. And he was upset greatly about it. And he went to see what all the you know, talk was about. So he went and listened to the preaching of the gospel. And the Bible says in that verse, Acts chapter 8, that it says, And Simon too believed and was baptized and followed the teaching and followed the apostles while they were there. And then all of a sudden, he saw Peter one day. Boy, isn't that a good thing, though, that a man, a drug dealer, gets saved and his heart changed, life changed, and uh, baptized, joins the church, and follows the Word of God. And he sees Peter. He sees him lay his hands on a young man. And when he lays his hands on him and prays for him, the man receives the Holy Spirit. And he speaks in this unknown tongue, this unknown language. And Simon the sorcerer watched that. And his old mind went to running and he went to Peter and he says, Sir, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll, I'll pay you. I'll give you money to teach me how to do that. And Peter looked at him and said, Sir, thy money perish with thee. I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Now when Peter said, You're in the bondage of iniquity, that let me know that Simon was a spurious Believer, the hope that he had, the faith that he had was artificial. It was fake. It was not reality. It was not a true, genuine salvation. He said, wait a minute. He believed. He was baptized. He joined the church. He continued following the disciples. That's what all of us believe when we see somebody walk the aisle and take a preacher by the hand, get baptized, and come sit on the pew and drop their dollar in the plate. Certainly he was saved. No, sir. No, sir. You see, when, you, when a person has genuine faith, when a person has genuine hope in Christ, 
then they continue living their life for the glory and honor of God. And when Peter says, I perceive that thou art in the bondage of iniquity and in the gall, a gall of iniquity and the bondage of sin, uh, I, I counsel you to pray to God and ask Him forgiveness. And Simon says, oh no, 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 I can't. I can't go to God. And You pray for me. You pray for me. That none of those things that you're saying will happen to me. See, he didn't, he didn't love God. He didn't want God, didn't need God. Well, he needed Him, but he wanted somebody else to intervene. For my friend, are you living your life in a way that is dependent on other people's faith and commitment and love and dedication and hope rather than your own? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11, and you'll have the message. You, you see, believing in Christ doesn't necessarily, just because Simon the sorcerer believed in Christ, there's a difference between a head knowledge of belief and a heart knowledge of faith that says, I surrender all, everything that I am to everything that you are. I'm going to live my life in a way that brings glory and honor to you. I don't care what it costs me. I'm not after anything. I don't want any tricks. I don't want any, any parlor tricks to where I can lay hands on people and get them to follow after me. But I'm willing to surrender everything that I am and to follow after Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11 reads like this. <coughs> For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. You see, some people have a worldly sorrow. And later, even though they had a worldly sorrow about the things they did, usually the, that sorrow is because they got caught. And now they repent. They're, they're sorry for what they did, but then they get out of it, and now they repent really of the sorrow that they had and go back to their ways. It's like the, like the sow going back to wallowing in the mire and the dog going back to eating its own vomit. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry you saw that, and, and I, I'm going to turn away. But as soon as you're out of sight, you go back. But see, this says, For godly sorrow worketh true, genuine repentance to salvation, and that type of sorrow and repentance is not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that you sorrow after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing, cleaning, cleansing, of yourself. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. You know there's no fear of God. You don't see it very much in this world today. Oh, they, they put bumper stickers and window stickers on their cowboy trucks and say ain't scared. You know, they ain't. They ain't scared of nothing. They ain't scared of God. They ain't scared of heaven. They ain't scared of hell. They ain't scared of pit bulldog. They ain't scared of nothing. My friend, one day you're going to stand before a holy and righteous God. You'll give an account of your life that you lived here, whether it was a, a life of spurious faith or it was a life of righteous indignation and holy faith and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. What indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, I, I don't know. 
The only person that I really know about is me. The only person that you can really ultimately know about is you. Are you clear? Is your heart clear? Is your mind clear? Is your conscience clean before a holy and righteous God? Do you know that you know Him because there's nothing more important in this world to you than to be pleasing to Him? Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We ask that You'll forgive us, strengthen us, help us, God, (coughs) to be faithful to You in all that we do. God, we realize that Your Word says in Romans chapter 8 that we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen, hope that is worldly, hope that is fleshly, is not hope. Because what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? God, we, we have hope in what is unseen. Faith, faith in something that is, is the evidence of our hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. God, we love you because you first loved us. Help us to turn, to repent, to, to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. To be real in who it is that we claim to be, the children of God. And Lord, we'll give you and you alone the praise and the glory for that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.